This week's reading for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. So, I mentioned earlier in the video, and you can see just by looking at me, I got quite the haircut. If any of you know me before, I probably look dramatically different. And here's the reason for it. This week, here within my congregation, has been vacation Bible school. It's a great, great time. During the course of the last four days, ending just a little while ago, as I'm recording this, we had about 30 students ranging up to about sixth grade. We had about a dozen more older students in junior high and high school who were here as helpers. We had four camp counselors who were all college age, not to mention a handful of, of adults who were here as volunteers. And this wonderful, wonderful program, this wonderful time, lots of fun, lots of high energy, lots of games, lots of different things to teach children about Jesus. That's the whole purpose of it. Now, one of the things that here in my congregation that we do every single year when this week goes on is a fundraiser that benefits some community organization. And this year, they did a really, really great job. It was one of the local humane societies. And they had a goal. Their goal was to raise $200 as this group. And as we looked at the totals of what they were raising yesterday, on Thursday, the second to last day, they had raised about 150 bucks. And so I made them a deal. It was, you might say I made a bet with them or I gave them a challenge. I said, if you make $200 by the, the beginning of, of the opening time here on the last day, I will shave my head. Now the kids got really, really excited about it. And sure enough, not only did they make their 50 bucks, but they made about another $100 on top of that. And so I had to make good. 
I had told them that I would do it. They held up there into the bargain. And so I had to stand up for what I did. I had to make good on this bet. And so as you're looking at this video, you can see my beard is gone and my hair is gone. Now, full disclosure, I was more than happy to make this, this arrangement, to take it up, to, to take it on, because I was due for a haircut anyway. And if you're familiar, if you know, I usually cut my hair pretty short. And in the summer, I cut it really short. And I'd always been wondering, what would I look like if I took the razor to it and went full bald? This was the time. This was the thing. And here's the great thing. My hair grows back so fast in another week or two, it's going to look pretty normal anyway. So it was all good. I really wasn't out anything, and I was happy to do that. It added to the environment. It added to the excitement of, of the kids and the week, and it was well, well worth it. But that idea of taking on the bet, taking on the, the taking it up and, and holding on to it, that's an idea that I think is present within our story today, at least on a very, very small scale. If you're familiar with where we've been, we've sort of talked about this in the video already, Jesus has been in this time of teaching and this time of leading and creating examples and showing his followers or his would-be followers what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Now, during this time of his ministry, he gets a lot of people who really appreciate what he has to say, really appreciate the work that he's doing and the miracles that he's performing, but he's also got a lot of opposition among many different groups, including a lot of the religious elite. And we hear of times when he is challenged, and this seems to be one of them. We hear that a lawyer, an expert in the law, now this would have been an expert in the Jewish law and the various rules and regulations that, that are a part of their faith practice. He stands up and we hear that he wants to test Jesus. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a bit of a, a little bit of ambiguity. We don't necessarily have it in our English translation that I shared, but it's present within the original language that Jesus takes up the debate. It's, it's, again, it's subtle, but he seems to be up for this, and he's like, you know, this might be good. And so he receives it. He takes it up, sort of like me taking on this bet, this challenge with the kids. Jesus is willing to face and take on this, this, this challenge of understanding. And I appreciate the way he does it. He seems to be throwing a little bit of the test back to the lawyer who's the expert in law, and he says, well, what's in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? Which I really, really appreciate. Jesus is showing us that we have the ability to understand and interpret that, which we also read, but he throws it back there. And the lawyer, well, he doesn't skip a beat. And he says something that I believe very, very much that I think that the Ten Commandments, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, that they shake down to. That it's about the way that we encounter our relationship with God and the way we encounter our relationship with one another. And the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus really seems impressed. Oftentimes, when Jesus gets into a debate or when he's asked a question or he's faced with some, some sort of challenge like this, he doesn't really give straight answers. He almost tends to ask another question back. But this time, he approves it. The guy says, love God with, all, with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Well, that's an interesting thing right there because Jesus does give the answer 
He approves what the guy has said, but then he kind of throws another mystery back out there. You will live. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live? But the lawyer seems to be caught on the first part. You have answered correctly. Love God and love your neighbor. And now the lawyer appears to be looking for a loophole. Or if not a loophole, he seems to be looking for a boundary. Or he seems to be looking for a structure. He seems to be looking for a dedicated answer that we can put our finger on when he says, but who is my neighbor? I can't help but think that he's trying to create a limit to these are the ones that we are called to care for, and if you fall outside of that category, then we don't have to worry about it. Who is my neighbor? Now Jesus is faced with a concept that he needs to broaden the horizon, so he tells the story. He tells the parable, the parable that is commonly known as the Good Samaritan. Now this is arguably one of the best-known parables uh, within, not only within Christianity, not only within the understanding of, of being a Jesus follower, but perhaps even in our, our regular day-to-day life, I think we're familiar with the idea of a Good Samaritan. But he tells this story. A man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, which was notoriously a dangerous road. And as the man travels, robbers set in on him, and they, they strip all his clothes off, and they, they beat him up. They leave him half dead. They pretty much throw him in the ditch on the side of the road, and they run off, leaving him wounded and alone. And as the man is laying there, we hear a priest and then a Levite who is, uh, we have a priest who's a religious leader, and then a Levite who is kind of a dedicated religious associate as well. So within that culture, these would have both been religious leaders of one type or another. They both walk by and they see the man. You would think that they would be ones who would be like, oh, we need to have compassion on this guy, but they don't. They pass by on the other side. They just leave him there. And then we hear the Samaritan comes by. Now, this is where things get tricky. Between the Jewish culture and the Samaritan culture, even though they were related, there was a lot of animosity between them. Because of history, because of some religious practices, they were considered not to be completely devoid of one another, but they were related to one another. There was some common ancestry, but there was also a lot of animosity, and each side thinking the other side was wrong. And so as this Samaritan comes down, they would expect his audience, his Jewish audience would expect the Samaritan is not going to be the right person because they don't even associate with each other. If the priest and the Levite went by on the other side, this guy is just going to walk right on by and not do anything. But the, we hear the Samaritan is the one who stops and helps. We hear that he's moved to pity. In fact, the original language says that, that he, he feels it in his guts. That, that maybe think of that idea. If you are ever so, uh, so enamored by something, so affected by something, you can feel your guts churning or feel your stomach churning. That's the description that we have of how he is moved to pity for this man. And he helps him. He bandages his wounds. He places him on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. And he, he, at his own cost, he cares for the man and he instructs the innkeeper that if there are any more expenses as I come back, when my business is completed and I'm coming back again, I will repay you whatever. He is willing to care for him. And that is the story. And then Jesus asked the man, who is the one who was the neighbor? And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say a Samaritan because it's so foreign. It's just so so against what he might ever think as being acceptable. And so he just says, the one 
who showed him mercy. And now here's where Jesus was returning to discipleship, where he's returning to this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be my follower and to be active, to be part of the body of Christ in the world, which is what we need to pay attention to. He says, then you go and do likewise. Jesus uses parables to illustrate points. And it seems that it works because the lawyer understands what Jesus is trying to say, even if he might get a little tense about some of the details. Jesus has shown what he's trying to do. And so, as we often do when we encounter parables, begin, we begin to ask the question, who are we? Where do we fall in this story and how do we relate? Well, at face value, if we only want to take this as a moral lesson, we could say, well, Jesus is telling us that we should be like the Samaritan, and no matter who the person is, if we see a need, we should help meet it. We should show compassion and care and be willing to go out of our way to help people. And that's not wrong. But if we leave it at a moral lesson, I think we're missing some of what Jesus is talking about when we go all the way back to that question, what does it mean to live? What does it mean to have life abundant? Now, I don't know about you, but when I listen to this story and I think about it and I hear the priest, not to mention the Levite, who's also a religious leader of sorts, when I hear that they dropped the ball, I kind of cringe just a little bit because, hey, blame the day job, but that's kind of an indictment on those of us who are in professional ministry that maybe drop the ball and don't be neighborly to the people that we are also called to care for. And so I hear a little bit of rebuke in that, and that makes me cringe just a little. But what about you? How do you interpret it? How do you read it? Who do you relate to in this story? Are we those religious leaders who drop the ball? Are we the Samaritan who is willing to go out of their way to offer help and compassion and care? In the past, when I've encountered this story, I've, I've encouraged my my audience to think maybe do they relate with the man who is beaten and robbed and left wounded in the ditch. And I think there are times in our lives when we all fall into that category as well because life can beat us down and we are not perfect people. But as I thought about it more and more and more this week in advance of this message, I got to thinking about one other set of people that's in this story that I've never thought about before, and that is the robbers, the bandits, the ones who set in on the man and leave him wounded and left by the wayside. Now, I bring them up, and I'm aware of them because I'm thinking about the loopholes that the lawyer was trying to find in the first place. Who do I have to care for? If I can set rigid boundaries if I can place it in something that's measurable, then I know who's in, who's out, who do I have to worry about, who do I not. And I can't help but think that we all fall in that category. Who am I really called to help? Do I have to help them? These people may because I think they're okay. But no, not those people over there. They're so much different than me. They look at life so much different than me. I can't really, God's not really calling me to help them. And I can't help but think that the church have done the same thing. When over the eons, when over 
our history, throughout our history, when we constantly try and draw those lines about who's acceptable, who's not, who's in, who's not. And yet over and over and over again, whenever we draw those lines and we condemn people because of it, I can't help but think that we are the robbers who are beating them down and leaving them wounded and alone at the side of the road. And perhaps we all collectively, as followers of Jesus, need to take a little bit of a pause and recognize that possibility. Now, here's the thing. If we are the robbers, we are looking to the one who shows mercy. And the one who shows mercy ultimately is God. God forgives us for our shortcomings. God is willing to forgive us for the times when we have fallen short. And God also shows compassion on those who are wounded and left for dead, which is all of us. It might be self-inflicted or it might be the result of someone else, but we are all left broken, wounded, left for dead. This is the effect of brokenness in our world, brokenness that's a part of us, and the sinful nature that we all have. But thanks be to God that whatever it is that Jesus was ultimately accomplishing through his life and his death and his resurrection, God has promised that we will not be left dying in that hole. There's a story that I always think of. Perhaps you've heard it, and I think it's applicable here. I think this is what God is reminding us all of. There's a man stuck in a hole, and he can't get out, no matter how hard he tries. And a pastor comes by, and the man hollers up at him, and he says, Pastor, can you get me out of here? And the pastor says, I'll pray for you to get out. And he walks on by. And then a doctor walks by, and the man's in the hole, and he yells up, Doc! I can't get out. Can you help me? And the doctor says, I'll write you a prescription. That'll get you out. Well, a lot of good that does. And he walks away too. But then a friend of the man comes by and he sees him in the hole. Can you help me? And what does he do? He jumps down in the hole next to him. And now the man in the hole says, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck in here. But his friend says, yeah, but you know what? I've been in this hole before. And I know the way out. Jesus God in human form is willing to jump in the hole next to us, the hole of woundedness, the hole of sin and brokenness, the hole that ultimately leads to death. And Jesus reminds us he has been through death and he knows the way out of it. And he has given that to us as well. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, to recognize our own brokenness and the brokenness that we exhibit that harms others, to recognize the truth about ourselves, but also to know that God loves each of us so much that God will not leave us in the midst of that and that Christ is somehow overcoming. This is what it means to live, to be secure in the grace of God, and we are called to share that with one another. Amen.